And just because I can't get enough of it, he is risen. He is risen and again, happy Easter. I'm so glad you are here. So um, we get together this day every year to talk about Easter. And it's my job to kind of clarify some things that we might not understand or maybe better understand the things that we already know. One of my favorite stories to tell on Easter morning is about the lady who was teaching Sunday school to the four-year-olds, Shulos. And she said, hey, Easter morning, and she said, hey, can anybody tell me what today is? And a little girl in her beautiful dress raised her hand and said, oh, it's Easter Sunday. And the teacher said, wonderful. Now, what, you know, what's so special about Easter Sunday? And the same little girl said, well, that's the day that Jesus came out of the tomb. And before the teacher could say anything else, the little girl added, and if Jesus sees his shadow, then he... So much winter for... Okay. So, all right, so what I talk, well, I like that story because it kind of shows us, you know, we don't maybe know 100% of what goes on with the Easter story. I think we get the gist of it. But uh, like I said, I like to clear things up. I like to make things a little bit um, uh, more helpful in our minds, clear up any confusion of why, um, why Easter is arguably the most important day uh, that occurred in human history. So, okay, so um, what did we talk about on this morning? We talked about the scripture that uh, the women went to the tomb early Sunday morning, and they were going to continue to prep Jesus' body, uh, who had died last Friday, and so we were going to prep the body. And uh, one of their major concerns is how are they going to get that big stone out of the way? Who is going to roll that stone out of the way? But when they got there, much to their surprise, that stone was already moved away. Now, the, this message, the resurrection of Christ, is in all four Gospels. So I like to take a little bit from each Gospel writer, because each of them give us a little bit more detail and a little better understanding uh, of what happened that morning. So if we look at Luke, um, you know, we look at Luke 24, verses 1 through 3. It says, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. It found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they had to be thinking a couple of things. Um, Number one, how did this rock get rolled out of the way? And by the way, if you haven't noticed, um, the tomb out there that the men of the the church have put up, it's pretty impressive this year, and they have a stone that's been rolled away from the tomb. So notice that on your way out this morning. Uh, So yeah, so the stone is rolled away. They thought, now, first of all, how could that have possibly happened? And the bigger question was, where was Jesus' body? Who stole Jesus' body? So very early Sunday morning, uh, the Gospel of John says, uh, while it was still dark, they went out there. So the stone is rolled away. Jesus is gone. When we stack the Gospel stories on top of each other, the historical accounts on top of each other, we also see that there's an angel there with the women, talking to the women, telling them uh, what was going on. So they, you know, understandably, they freaked out a little bit. I mean, that's maybe not a biblical term, but they freaked out a little bit. And they went back to the disciples who were huddled up in the house, and they were waiting to see what was going to happen next. So the women go out there, they come back, they're a little bit frazzled, they leave the tomb shaken um, and, and amazed at what they had seen. Uh, Now, Mark 16, again, jumping around from the different gospel writers, it says, the women fled the tomb, this is verse 8, trembling and bewildered. And again, we can understand both of those things after what had just happened to them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened until they got to the disciples. And then they started telling the disciples what happened. And the disciples weren't understanding it. First of all, um, there were at least three women there, the Bible tells us. And if you get three women telling the same story at the same time, it's hard to hear anything. No offense, it's hard to hear anything, right? But they're very excited about the whole thing. And the disciples are starting to hear some things that if even one person was telling them, these things are unbelievable. First of all, A, the stone is rolled away. 
The Romans put their seal on top of that. There's guards out there. There's no way that stone was rolled away. And then what did you find in there? You found that Jesus was gone, and instead of Jesus being in there, there's angels. They're like, this is, this is impossible. The story didn't make any sense. And Luke says that straight up in chapter 24. The story the women were telling the disciples sounded like nonsense to the men. And again, we can, if we paint that picture and get in that scene, it sure would sound like nonsense. So they didn't believe it. So what do they do, right? They take off and they say, Peter and John take off and run for the tomb, right? And you can tell that a guy wrote this, by the way, because he says, hey, by the way, uh, we were both running to the tomb and uh, I'm just saying, I got there first. You know, Peter's old and slow and kind of heavy and, uh, you know, I, I got there first and I looked in to see what was happening. So look at uh, John chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. Peter and the other disciple, just for um, uh, discussion's sake, that's, that's John. The other disciple is John here. Peter and, and John started out for the tomb. Uh, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Ah, just, just saying, you know. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. So he looks down and he sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Now, one of the things that I try to teach and I try to get across to people is that God doesn't waste space in the Bible. You know, we think that this is a pretty huge book. You know, even with this one, the tiny little print in it, there's a lot going on in here. But none of it's there for filler. None of it's there to impress us by a thick book and just kind of just, you know, make it, uh, you know, something that, that we're impressed with. He gives us details, and he gives us those details for a specific reason. Sometimes we don't always know it when we're reading it, but God says, hey, there's some stuff in here. We call them nuggets. We call them golden nuggets. There's some golden nuggets in there for us to understand and for us to discern. And they're always pointing us back to our faith pointing back to who God is and strengthening our faith and our understanding of who God is. So John and Peter run back to the, to the, to the tomb. Um, John is a little more cautious. He stoops and he looks in and he sees what he sees. You know, he sees the linen wrappings um, lying there. So now eventually um, Peter um, comes up, you know. <laughs> He's huffing and puffing. He's got a stitch in his side, you know, but, but here he is. Now, Peter is very much unlike John. They couldn't be more opposite personalities. John's a little more cautious. He stands outside the tomb looking in. Peter gets there, and he bowls right in. He says, all right, let's see what these women are talking about. So look at, uh, look at um, verse 6, John 20, verse 6. It says, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. Now, a minute ago, we saw that, that John was standing outside and noticed the linen wrappings lying there. Right? Well, so Peter goes in and he says, it says, he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. That's verse 6. Now, um, it's, it's significant here because there's a couple of different words here. Um, back in verse 5, when, when John's looking in and he saw the linens, it's kind of, kind of like a casual glance. He observed it, he didn't make much of it. Peter goes in. And it's a whole different Greek word here. This means, uh, word means to, uh, in verse uh, 6 now, Craig, and he, he noticed the linen wrappings there. It means to consider. It means to um, discern. It means to, to view attentively, to pay attention to. He sees the linen wrappings lying there. And then the key detail that we have in here, and the key that, that I want to go on this morning and talk about the rest of the morning, is verse 7. It says, While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lined apart from the other wrappings. The cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up in line uh, apart from the other wrappings. Okay, so now John and Peter, we call them eyewitnesses. And so what they're talking about here and what we learn from their reaction should, again, strengthen our faith, should strengthen our understanding in what God has been writing to us here and what, John, he, what he writes to us uh, through John specifically. 
That word cloth, this is while the cloth, that word cloth is in some English translations translated as the word napkin. So sometimes we talk about the word napkin. It's a better translation because of what it tells us here. John, like I said, this eyewitness in, uh, to this one verse, he's the guy writing this. The guy that was standing there looking at it is the same person that's writing it to us. So we should take a moment and see why it's here and why, what he's talking about. See, if we look at the detail here, um, the head covering, the, the napkin, isn't just tossed aside like the rest of the, the grave clothes. And first of all, just to see the grave clothes in, in the tomb didn't make a whole lot of sense to anybody. Um, because if you, if you try to think about it, you know, we know the whole story, we know the end of the story, but if you're Peter and John or the women standing there, and first of all, like I said, the stone is rolled away, which is amazing enough in itself. How in the world did this thing get moved because it had the Roman seal on it? Guards all over the place. How in the world did the stone get moved? But now the stone's moved and the body is gone. But the linen wrappings are there. Everything that was the grave clothes are still there. So if it's a grave robber coming in, those linens are actually worth some money. So if they came in to rob the grave, they left the most valuable stuff there. And why would they take a body? And if they took the body, why would they leave the wrappings? Like I said, none of this makes any sense until we start to connect some of the dots that God lays down here for us and puts on, the, and puts on these pages for us. In order to understand what the significance of that napkin is, that folded napkin, we need to understand a little bit about the Hebrew tradition of that day. Also some customs of our day. Um, I've told you before that um, I had the pleasure and the privilege of playing in the Air Force Band for several years. And one of the great things about that job, one of the perks of that job, is we'd play for a lot of banquets. And so we'd go and they would, almost always, they would uh, include us in these meals. And I always went because, man, they were the best meals. And um, you could, chicken, fish, all the kind of, ham. Anyways, I'm a little hungry, I guess. (laughs) So uh, as you sit at these tables, and there's three or 400 people in these banquet rooms. And there's a staff there, usually a foreign country. You know, we were playing in, um, we were playing in Korea. We were playing in Japan, Okinawa, um, even Guam. They don't always speak English there. So we're playing in these foreign countries. So there was a custom to these banquets where if you're sitting at these tables, again, three, 400 people in there, the staff is trying to keep things neat and tidy. So what you would do is if, if you needed to get up to go um, away from the table for whatever reason, you would take your napkin and you would fold it up and you would hang it over the back of your chair. And then the staff knew that you were going to come back and finish your meal, that you weren't done yet. You just got called away on a phone call or whatever it is that you had to do. You go out and you do your thing. You come back, you take your napkin, and you continue on with your meal. And now if you're done with your meal and you're leaving the table, going to uh, you know, party or talk to other people, whatever it is you're going to do, you throw your uh, napkin on the, on the plate setting, and then the staff knows that you, they can come and, and take that plate away. Again, they're trying to keep things neat. There's a lot of people. They've got a lot of work to do, so we're helping them out. Well, it was the same thing back in the Hebrew days in the Hebrews. Um, a, a servant would come and would, would set up a table, and, and the master would come and sit down, and then the servant would have to be off in the distance, um, out of sight, out of mind, just keeping a, an eye on the table, what was happening. And the master would do the same thing. If he wanted to get up from the table and go and do something else, but was going to come back and return to that meal, he would fold his napkin up and lay it next to his plate. We'd put it on the back of the chair, but he would lay it next to his plate. And so then he would go and do whatever he was going to do, and he would come back again and then finish his meal. Now, if he's done with that meal, he takes his, his napkin and, and he wads it up, wipes his beard and wipes everything up, and then the, tosses the napkin onto that place setting. So to indicate that I am not coming back. So the folded napkin indicates I'm coming back. 
the, the wadded up napkin indicates I'm done and I'm going to be leaving now. So now, okay, if we're stepping away and we're looking at this again, John and Peter knew what was going on here. Um, John's standing outside. He doesn't really notice the headcloth. He doesn't notice a napkin that's folded up and separated from the rest of the linens, the rest of the, the wrappings that are lying there in a heap, basically. Peter comes in, takes a, a look at the scene, and sees that, that basically Jesus is saying, I might be gone right now, but I'm coming right back. And we think, well, you know, where does all that come from? How do, how do we discern all that? Well, I've got a couple of other verses for you to look at that, that again, ties all this together. So here we have um, verse 8. Let's go with verse 8, Craig. Or is it 7? Seven? 7, we already did. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Okay, verse 8. Listen to this now. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John, also went in, and he saw and he believed. Saw and believed what? Now that word saw is the same word I described for you a second ago when Peter walked in and he considered, he discerned, he viewed attentively. The first word that we see when John saw it was a casual glance. Now he's discerning. Now he's understanding. And it says what he saw and he believed. He believed what? He believed Jesus is coming back because that's what Jesus had been telling them all along. And in case we don't quite get that, God spells it out for us. He says, in case you're not tracking with me, I want you to understand this. He says, verse 9, For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Until then, until they see this folded napkin laying there and Jesus saying, I'm coming back. So don't fret. I've been telling you that all along. Now I'm showing it to you. Peter and John, who are very well um, uh, accustomed to uh, the customs of the day, understand the customs of the day, recognize this immediately, right? Peter just doesn't say, oh, it's casually laying there. No, he says, hold on a second. And John comes in, and they're both gawking at this, saying, wow, what Jesus said was true. And I love that. Go back to verse 8. I love it when John walks in, he saw and he believed. He believed everything he understood, started to understand the things that Jesus had been saying. That I'm just gone for a minute. I'll be right back. Now for these guys, um, it was just a couple of hours and that they were going to see him again, right? And so, and for us, you know, it might be a little bit different. It might, it might add up to a little bit more time. So God starts connecting some of these dots for us that the disciples were connecting on that day. And those ideas for us should start to come into focus. Again, God wrote these things for us so that we would understand more, so that we put our trust in him, we would put our faith in him. Maybe, you know, they didn't understand everything right then at that moment in history, but it all started to add up. All started to add up everything they knew from the beginning. Because now that we have these arguments... um, these pastors and you know, theological people have these debates, and you guys probably have them too. Which is the most important day? Sometimes we say, is Christmas the most important day or is Easter the most important day? And we you know, have fun little talks about that. But don't miss this, that Christmas and Easter both point to the same fact. Both point to the same place, the same ideas. If we think back to the, I don't have the scripture on the board for you, but if you think back to um, the Christmas story, when Gabriel is talking to, um, he's talking to Joseph, you know, Jesus' father, and he says that Mary is going to have a son. And Gabriel says to Joseph, you are to name him Jesus because he is going to save people from their sins. So even before Jesus was born, it was laid out his purpose here on this earth. So we think about Jesus being here 
And we think about uh, the things that he did, the things that he taught, the examples that he gave, the miracles that he did. But we can't miss the fact that the number one thing that Jesus came here for was to forgive us from our sins. Easter is all about that Jesus message to his disciple about forgiveness of sins. Um, how on Thursday night, right? And we're going to hear these words in, the sent, in, in, in a little while here in a second. But he held up the cup and he said, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's the most important thing that we have to get out of this. And we talk about the, message, the gospel message. You know, when I, when I read it earlier, I said, this is the gospel of our Lord. The gospel message sometimes makes people uncomfortable. Because it talks about the forgiveness of sins. And in order for us to be forgiven something, we have to, and we have to first admit that, that we have done something wrong. And sometimes we have a hard time doing that, that we don't meet God's standard. I know it's just a three-letter word, but uh, you know, people don't like to admit it. They say, well, uh, I'm not that bad, right? I, and I'm not as bad as, you know, pick a name, right? Usually we go with Hitler or somebody like that. We say, well, I'm not that bad, right? But God says, you know, I, I want you to be perfect. I want you to be completely free of sin. He says, and I'm going to do that for you. Sometimes it's hard for us to accept that. Sometimes it's hard for us to accept that Jesus forgives us no matter what. Now, it's Easter Sunday, so I like to do a special um, children's message. And I want to just kind of talk about that a little bit. How does Jesus forgive us? And does, the question is, does Jesus always forgive us? And how does he do that? And how does it happen? Because this is Easter Sunday. And like I said, the reason we have the cross, the reason we celebrate Christmas, the reason we celebrate Easter is to celebrate the forgiveness of sins. Because if we were all honest with each other, with one another, we would have to say that there are times in our lives when we really blew it. Right? And there are times in our lives we say things we shouldn't have said, we do things that we shouldn't have done, and wouldn't it be great if we had some kind of magic little box that would just take care of everything for us? Kind of like a, a washing machine. You know, you put the dirty clothes in the washing machine, and somehow by magic, not only is it when I do it, but somehow by magic, they come out clean. So I brought a little box in here for us this morning that we can put these things in. So sometimes, like I said, sometimes when we really blow it, and when we say things we shouldn't say, when we do things we shouldn't do, wouldn't it be nice to have a little magic box that we could put it in? Because sometimes, you know, events in our lives, you know, affect who we are and affect the things that we say, affect the things that we do. Sometimes we get a little green with envy, right? Come on, I know, I get a bigger groan than that, right? We get a little green with envy. And what does that do to us? You know, the Bible calls that coveting. You know, when we want something that somebody else has, when we don't have that, it makes us think things, it makes us say things, it makes us do things that we normally wouldn't do. Um, You know, the kid down the street got a brand new bike and won't stop talking about it. So, you know, I secretly wish, maybe out loud, wish that his dad would run over that bike in the driveway and then I wouldn't have to hear about it anymore. I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore, right? We think things, we say things that we probably shouldn't. And, and when we start coveting things or start things in our lives start coming at us, we uh, can sometimes get a little, you ready for this one? Red in the face, right? We get a little angry. And when we get angry, we start lashing out irrationally at other people. Amen to any of this? Can anybody relate to any of this yet? So wouldn't it be nice if we had this magic box that we could just, you know, agitate it a little bit and get in there? I forgot, I'm sorry, I had it backwards that whole time. I have this magic box. This is actually Formula 119. 
And I'm going to show you in a second how this Formula 119 works. Formula 119 says this. Oh, let's put the verse up. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 19. We say it every morning. And I even say we're going to quote the book of 1 John every morning. But the, first, the verse before this says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we're basically liars, and we're making God a liar, so we say sometimes. But it says this, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So those times that we blew it, when we confess those to God, He says, you're going to come out completely white. You're going to come out completely clean. He also says, when you are green with envy... And when you start to wish different things on different people, we're going to talk about being clean as snow again, being white as snow again. The times where we get so angry, you're not impressed yet? <laughs> times we're so angry, we come out white as snow. And here's what, this is what the Bible says about it. Uh, look at, I should have actually, oh, I had it upside down that whole time. Sorry. Um, so instead of Formula 119, I was thinking about calling it a Formula 118, because look at this verse from Isaiah. The Lord says, now settle the matter. You are stained red with sin, but I will what? Wash you clean as snow. Although your stains are deep red, you will be white as wool. Now, like I said, Adam, would you come here a second? Adam, would you come here a second? Adam, blink twice if you're with me. (laughs) Because sometimes we might think that our sins are still here with us, right? So you're probably thinking this is some kind of trick, but it really isn't. Adam, have you ever, um, has there been a moment in your life when you said, man, I really blew it. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something. We don't need examples. I just need a simple acknowledgement. Yeah, okay. Would you please reach in that box and pull out the, uh, the blew it uh, napkin, please? Okay, would you please uh, reach in there? Maybe there's been times when you've been green with envy. Would you please pull out the green with envy napkin? Time where you're red in the face. Did you pull it? It's still nothing. Right. So give Adam a big round of applause. He didn't know he was going to do this. God says, I will forgive your sins and I am going to forgive them completely. A couple weeks ago, we uh, talked about the verse that God says, um, I'm going to set your sins, put your sins as far away as the east is from the west. I had a globe up here. You know, God doesn't say from the north to the south, because that's a finite point. You start going uh, at the North Pole, you start going to the South Pole, eventually you're going to start going north again. But if you're in the east and you start going west, you never stop going west. God says, your sins are so far away from you that you can never find them again. He says, you're going to be white as snow. You were crimson, you were all these different colors that we had in here, but he says, now you are white as snow. And that's the one thing we have to understand, because we think that maybe I did something that God can't ever forgive. God says, I got you. And the God, we say, well, you know, I did that same thing again. And God says, I understand. But you know what? We're going to get better. Put that Isaiah verse back up again. It says, now let's settle the matter, right? Let's get this straight. Let's figure this out, you and I. He says, I am going to forgive you. That doesn't give us license to keep on sinning. He says, I am going to forgive you. You are completely forgiven. Everything that you've done is in the past. You are now mine. And we think, well, what's the big deal about forgiveness? We talk about it all the time. Because God created us. God is your creator. You can't, there's no getting around that. He created you, and he created you with a specific purpose, to be in a relationship with him. And when we sin, and we have that sin in our lives, that separates us from God. Scripture says that God is too holy to be around sin. So when we're full of it, he says, no, but I'm going to take it away. I'm going to make you white as snow again. I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to bring you back to myself. 
And God says, I'm going to do this every time, no matter what. First John says, if we confess our sins, the word confess means to acknowledge. If we acknowledge our sin, understand who we are, deal with it, God says, okay, let's settle the matter right now. You are forgiven and you are clean, made white as snow. You guys picking up what I'm putting down? You want to see the box again? All right. Let's rise as we confess what we believe in the words of